0: We're back with the Mainland Podcast, everybody. I am Michael Citro from themainland.com. And of course, uh, joining me as always, uh, some of our staff. And actually, uh, right now, we're missing some of our staff. Uh, we've got some technical things going on. But Andrew Harrison is here with me. Andrew, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm having a good one, Michael. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Um, we also have Daniel McGann, who will be checking in with us shortly. Um, Daniel's uh kind of fading in and out tonight <laughs> it appears but uh we'll get him back on the call and uh and he'll be he'll be with us momentarily. Um anyway, uh we're coming off second consecutive win. Orlando City winning uh 1-0 at Chicago last Saturday night after a uh previous Sunday beating uh Sporting Kansas City at home back to back wins Andrew it feels pretty darn good to say six points out of six uh the last two weeks
1: oh it I mean it after having so many after having two months where it felt like it was just getting longer we, we weren't getting a win it felt really good to say that we've got six points. I'm just hoping that it hasn't come too late for us to make that final push into the playoffs
0: yeah, hopefully it's not too late uh the big uh, not a coincidence, I don't think, is that Breck Shea comes back and the team's playing better. Uh, the team was in really good form through May and June. And at the end of June, Breck Shea goes down with an injury, has to have surgery after the Colorado game, and then two months of misery without um, without Breck Shea. So is Breck Shea just the be-all, end-all for this team this year?
1: I mean, you you don't want to say so, but you've got to think that when, you know, stats don't lie, he came on, his substitutions just made such a great difference to our game style, um, he opened up so many more avenues for us going forward, and he really eased the pressure on the midfield for people who were getting tired, and you you don't want to say that maybe it was just his fresh legs, but maybe it's just his quality too that has really opened up some teams, Um I think we had some moments of brightness without him. I just think we have to say that we have to give him some credit for being able to change the way that the team the way he did. But you also have to give some credit to because he was the one that was coming on and partnering him in those changes and you know, two goals two goals, two games together and that's a pretty good turnaround for a young D P too.
0: Absolutely. Uh we're gonna welcome Daniel McGannon now. Daniel, uh hopefully we'll have you here to stay. We've been uh Having some technical issues tonight.
2: Yeah, we've had some uh, pretty bad technical issues, which I've never had before. But uh, speaking on Shay's, uh, you know, about his gameplay, it's been it's been fantastic since uh, he's been back and uh, Roches as well. But I think the the issue is so much with the difference between Roches and Kyle Lairn is Kyle's probably just been beat down from the season. You got I think this is his first year in MLS. Uh, he's played a lot of minutes. He's played up top by himself for a lot of those minutes. Uh, running back and forth and, and trying to get into the box with some big center defenders, and um, I think uh, that that's it's taking its toll now because um, with with that kind of youth, you don't you don't come in in the type of shape that you necessarily need to be in for a full MLS season. Uh, and don't forget about all his call ups as well, um, uh, all the MLS travel, the the national international call ups for for Canada side, and uh, a full season's finally taking its toll on him. But it's going to help him out for next year and. It's good to see uh, Rochez coming into his own right now because we do have another option where earlier in the year everyone else was either injured or we would have had to put Pedro super slow uh, in there and see what he could have done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, and it's a good thing you point out the international call-ups because it's not just the meaningful minutes and the number of games, which is probably double what he played in college um, in MLS, but then you've got meaningful... Very important uh, World Cup qualifiers and very meaningful minutes. And that's a lot of pressure uh, to put on a young striker to throw him in uh, and represent his country. And then all the extra travel involved with that to these little island nations that they've been playing against and that kind of thing. So um, a, a very hectic year for Kyle Laren. It's not a surprise to see him tail off. We've been hearing it from Adrian Heath for months at, at some point. Kyle Laren's going to get tired, and things are, you know, not, aren't going to go as well for him for a bit, and he's going to have to regain his legs and push through it. And you know, the, they call it the rookie wall. You hit the rookie wall, and um, he's hit that. But you know, he still had some moments against Chicago where he was able to get free, and and Carlos Rivas did a good job finding him. And you know, maybe a fresher Kyle Laren puts those in, and maybe it's not uh, coming down to an 86th minute goal. Uh, maybe it's you know taken care of by then. Maybe it's two nothing by the time Rochez comes in or something. But uh, you know what I thought against the Chicago Fire is that Orlando played a very strong road game. They they did a good job of taking care of the ball for the most part, and uh, you know playing team defense and taking uh, you know trying to make the most of their opportunities when they came. And they didn't actually get to to finish one of those until late in the game. But uh, for me, the back line was phenomenal. Christian Aguida was phenomenal again. And um, for me, my man of the match was uh, David Mateos. Andrew, what, how did you see the game?
1: I just thought it was, once again, it was a good, solid performance by a little bit of everybody. I thought the back line were really strong. I'm loving the development of the partnership between Colin and Mateos. I called Mateos out a little bit at, a few when he first came over I was concerned that he wasn't gonna get that partnership, but I think we're starting to see really the depth of our scouting network. You know, we pulled a guy from nowhere and he's come in and he's put in some solid time and i feel like he's definitely gonna give Heinz an issue. Maybe Heinz is gonna go back up. He's not costing us an international spot. Um, I've been enjoying the midfield. Um I think Neil has been an underrated player, he's getting some stick in the press, but he has come in and done a Stout job of just controlling and being calm and not getting pulled across the field and leaving that to some of the younger legs, which I've been enjoying. Um, and just the fact that we've been scoring, I think that's my number one excitement for this <laughs> f- past few games. Yeah, yeah. Who
0: is your man of the Who is your man of the match, Andrew?
1: I gave it to Higita again. I just I feel like he just plays with the passion that I want to see from a player who is stuck. In a team that was struggling, he just came out. He was bossing it. He was all over, and he just—he was my player of the game.
0: All right, uh, Daniel, how did you see the match in terms of, you know, what stood out to you, and, and also who was your man of the match?
2: Yeah, I got to get this one off first, uh, Andrew. I would never describe Lewis Neal as stout. Right now, <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a very strong word. Uh, I, I feel like the the weakest link that we've had all year was when uh, Eric Avila was playing, and quite honestly, Lewis Neal. And for all of his veteran savvy, um, you can just tell he's lost steps um, through the years, and he, he he looks like he's running in mud sometimes, quite honestly. But uh, to each their own. Uh, you know, he, he's he's a good player for for some points in the match, and it's good to have that veteran on the field. But um, for the, the the type that, you know, the flair that we like to throw into the game, it's it's hard to have him, especially in attacking midfield role. Um, but I definitely... Well, can,
1: you, you can't argue with the fact that he's played attacking midfield twice, and we've won twice.
2: That's understandable. And, I mean, <laughs> you know, and sometimes when there's a full moon outside, you know, people <laughs> have babies. But, uh, I mean, I can't correlate that with winning because Lewis kneels on the pitch, just quite honestly. <laughs> So I think uh, I saw the game as, as uh, the team going out and deciding to get a win. Uh, if you look at Adrian and, and the people that he brought in with, with O'Shea and Rochez, he, he was bringing in the attacking players because we knew we needed three points, even if it was on the road. And, uh, and Shea looked fantastic coming in. Uh, Carlos Rivas looked good. Um, when when he was on the on the pitch, uh, Roque, Roches when he came on for Laren was fantastic. Um, I, I hope Revis can end up playing ninety minutes uh, at some point. He just tires himself out. It seems to whenever he starts, but um, it, I think Orlando's on the uptick and uh, thankfully so because we had a, a, a barrel of a couple of months there. Um, and then that back line where it's Mateos and and uh, Colin back there, they are. It seems like they're getting a good relationship that. Seb Hines and Colin never really had. Uh, they never really seemed to be on the same page for uh, a few few games within a stretch. And I think uh, Mateos and Colin will be able to do that. But uh, man of the match, uh, I always go to that defensive midfield position, just like you did, Andrew. And uh, Egüitte looked fantastic. I mean, his his motor and Saren when he's on the field. I don't I don't know how they do it. I mean, I feel like they cover more ground than anybody I see, and they're just still running. Uh, in the ninetieth minute, trying to get that ball or trying to attack whenever it comes down. If they can get those passes crisp in the final third, uh, that pairing is going to be uber dangerous. Come next year,
0: yeah. Really, the only thing I see that, that uh, strikes me about Krishna Gita and Darwin Saren that you wouldn't see, like say, from uh, some of the best in Major League Soccer at, at playing defensive mid. You know, I'm talking about a guy like Michael Bradley. I'm talking about a guy like um, Dax McCarty, maybe. Uh, the difference is they have that offensive uh, ability as well to to turn a pass into a, a deadly scoring chance. And that's really the only thing that Saren and Aguita haven't really perfected yet. They've really done a great job with all the other aspects of the game.
2: Yeah, but Michael, I've, I've never seen a Dax McCarty put a shot on goal like Saren and Aguita can from outside the box. Like, they both have powerful legs. It's... It's and you gotta understand they're both extremely young. They're both younger than Dax McCarty and Michael Bradley, so hopefully the growth is there for them. They're definitely gonna play in a system that's gonna allow both those defensive midfielders to roam upfield. Uh, and if if we can find an another attacking uh, another attacking midfielder to either play with Kaká or play uh, as a as a sub for Kaká, I think that's gonna help them out tremendously. And I'm really looking forward to their growth.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and of course, you know, I, I'm well aware of their youth and 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 uh, their their big shot, that's that's great. When some of those start going in, that's going to be even greater. Um, the, you know, and Adrian Heath has said repeatedly that he expects somebody to come try to buy his defensive midfielders at some point. You know, might not be this year, might not be next year, but, you know, these are the types of players that he's seeking out or the guys that are developing into what we're seeing. What we're seeing now, I mean, who knows, a guy like Chris Nogita could be playing for – You know, a top four team in La Liga in a couple of years. I mean, it's not out of the question at all. He's really played well. He's. uh, I thought it was a great slight to him for for him not to be included at MLS uh, 24 under 24. Yeah. Because for me, he's probably been, if not the club's MVP, then certainly top two. Yeah. And and certainly for his age group, yeah, absolutely. You you look at Laren. MLS is famous for just looking at numbers. I mean, you see it every week in in, you know MLS Player of the Week. You know, two two guys uh, score two goals and they're going to give it to the big star player. You know, if if it's Dom Dwyer and Adrian Venter, then Dom Dwyer is your Player of the Week. Um, That's just the way it goes. There's a little bias there, and there's a bias towards offense when you when you look at MLS Player of the Week. You never see it be you know, it's rarely a central defender, right? (laughs) I mean, I, I. don't remember the last time a central defender was MLS Player of the Week, but um, typically it's it's somebody who's scoring goals. So uh, there's a little bit of a bias there, but I thought, uh, you know, Laren, 11 goals or not, yeah, he deserves to be there, but Igita, for sure I thought was better than at least four or five guys on that list. I, I probably and, would
2: have and, named yeah. more, and quite honestly, I thought it was a snub because without him in, in our lineup throughout the year, I mean, look at the players that would have been playing there instead. Uh, and just look at defensive midfielders across m l s not many outside of the international players that we talk about uh and the the veterans that are there at his age have the complete package like he does uh and I thought it was a you know it was definitely a slight uh i don't not mint of course, but he's got mm-hmm. a couple years to put himself in the conversation uh here in m l s is one of the best defensive midfielders moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I think he's already top five defensive midfielders in the league. He's got he's 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 very 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 strong, and I think a lot of people haven't seen him play, uh, you know, around the league yet enough to to get a sense of how important he is to this team. So, um, anyway, uh, I think it's pretty awesome to get uh, six points out of you know out of a possible six over two weeks. I don't know if we can do. Uh, make it 9 for 9 here. Uh, we've got a, a game coming up against New York Red Bulls. The first meeting went 2-0 to New York in the Citrus Bowl back in July, and that was the game where you might remember in the 32nd minute, Kyle Laren got sent off for a phantom uh, uh, studs-up challenge on Sasha Kleschen, uh, That question made an absolute meal, actually probably made a whole week's worth of meals out of it. And uh, Laren's uh, red card was rescinded midweek, but that was too late to help Orlando City uh, get the goal back that uh, Kleschen had scored earlier, uh, and certainly to get any points out of the game. So uh, it's an opportunity here uh, for Orlando City to play a team that's already clinched a playoff berth. I'm certain that they're not going to roll over with the supporter shield still up in the air and um, you know playoff positioning uh, to be determined. But it would be nice to go up there with Kaka back, with Darwin Saren back, with Corey Ash back, and, you know, Breck Shea, and all of this complement of players that seems to suddenly be a full squad almost. You know, if you're talking about basically everybody but Kevin Molino, um, you know, it would be nice to see us go up there and and get three points. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about Red Bulls now, and we're going to bring in our guests to do it. So uh, why don't we do that right now? All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, our old friend Jason Iapico is back from uh, Once a Metro, the SB Nation New York Red Bulls site. Jason, welcome back to the podcast.
3: Uh, thank you very much for having me on again. Uh, I know after last time you guys uh, weren't the, the the best fans of the Red Bulls, but hopefully cooler heads have prevailed since then.
0: <laughs> we have nothing against the Red Bulls so much as the referee who tossed Kyle Laren and Maybe Sasha question for acting like a little bitch. <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> in, in, in fairness, in fairness, um, and I know this is your first year in MLS, but we've we've had our fair share of those uh, calls against us where people just completely flopped and not have gone our way. We actually gave up a penalty to I believe it was Colorado and like the home opener two years ago, where um, Thomas Alave was deemed to have pushed somebody in the back when his arms were nowhere near the back. So, I mean, it, it all evens out in the end, I guess is where I go with
0: that.
3: <laughs> oh ever... man, it would be awesome. It would really be awesome if it all evened out in
0: the end because man, it's been a rough, rough season. Luck wise for, uh, for Orlando city, Jason, before we get any further in this, why don't we, uh, uh, give you the opportunity to tell our listeners where to find you guys on the web and on
3: Twitter. All right. So, uh, obviously, uh, SB blog, once uh, the uh, blog for the New York Red Bulls, New York Red Bulls 2 of the USL, and uh, Sky Blue FC of the NWSL uh, on Twitter at once underscore a underscore metro. I know that's a weird username. Apparently there was some stuff that went down with it when it was first brought up, so uh, we're stuck with that for now. Um, and personally, mine is at Doc Stooge. That's D-O-C-T-A-S-T-O-O-G-E.
0: All right, well, uh, I'm going to dive right into this and say that uh, we were just speaking of the, the, the incident where uh, in the 32nd minute of the first meeting between the two teams, Kyle Lahren is sent off with a straight red, thanks Ted uncle on the sideline, um, had to impose his will as the fourth official, and um, Kyle Lahren was gone, and it kind of ruined the game. It was it was 1-0 at the time, and it, it stayed 1-0 until stoppage time when Mike Grella was able to, to put home the equalizer, but uh, Orlando City fought, as hard as they could all evening, uh, shorthanded and down a goal and uh, weren't quite able to come up with that. But uh, we got lots of hate tweets and hate comments from Red Bulls fans about how uh, we were whining because we happened to point out that Sasha Kleshtian wasn't actually touched at all. And I'm not going to say Red Bulls fans have been the, the rudest to us because that Honor belongs to a certain team out of Ohio, um, but that wasn't very. got some very, very non-good responses, and, I, and now you tell me that that's happened to you guys before. I'm sure those people took it just fine and didn't complain about it at all, right? Uh,
3: I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure they were complaining. For,
2: for what <laughs>
3: For what it's worth, I try to stay out of other teams' timelines because I it, it would just be a spiral for me if I went went into every single opponent and just complained about everything, or saw complain about everything. Maybe the only exception is DC because I mean it's just funny to laugh at them. But uh, <laughs> I, the, I I know there was some heated comments after that. Um, honestly, when I saw it live, I thought question went down. I thought it was the right call, and then when I saw the replay, I uh, it was very clear that question did or. All right, so let me phrase it this way: I thought uh, Laren deserved a card. For the action, I don't think he deserved a red because he didn't make contact, but it was a dangerous—he was attempting a dangerous tackle, whether or not he intended to or not. And the league has been trying to crack down on that this year. So if it was a yellow, I would have been perfectly fine with that. Red for me was not the right call. It did, like you said, ruin the game. Um, Even though you—you know, Orlando City still fought hard. Uh, It probably would have been a much harder fight for the Red Bulls if there was 11 guys on the field for Orlando. Uh, I can't speak to any Red Bulls fans that were particularly angry about (laughs) everything. Um, But I will say, like like I mentioned a few minutes earlier, we've in the 19, 20-year history of the team have had our fair share. So uh, we're kind of used to being defensive about it and and pointing out when things uh, haven't gone our way. So, I mean, it's just unfortunately a lot of history there that kind of gets brought up whenever something like that happens.
1: Um, So you guys clinched a playoff spot definitely um, after last weekend's games. Um, What would you classify as success for this season? You obviously had a lot of turmoil at the start um, with the town hall meeting. Would you be happy with just getting a supporter shield, or do you really want MLS Cup? What would you gauge would be a success for this season?
3: Uh, It's funny, because I actually wrote a piece that went out today on Once Metro where I basically said making the playoffs isn't sufficient. Um, Because in a league where over half the teams make the playoffs, that is not a barometer of success. Um, Some fan bases may differ. I know Toronto FC is hoping that they would have a playoff appearance by now, but they don't. Um, For the Red Bulls, I I think going into the season, most people expect the playoffs just because, and, and this is not an offense to Orlando City, but... You know, two expansion teams, a fairly a weaker Eastern Conference. So it was kind of expected to be in the playoffs no matter what. Um, you listen to some some people at the town hall back in January, and they basically said, Pecky took us to one goal within the MLS Cup final. So anything short of that is a disaster because you fired the guy that got us there. Um, at this point in the season, with the playoffs wrapped up, At the top of right now, tied with Vancouver in terms of points for top of the standings, which they actually own a tiebreaker over us and wins, which is I I can go on a whole rant about how MLS tiebreakers are stupid, but um, (laughs) with two games in hand on Vancouver and a fairly uh, lighter schedule compared to what they had to face, uh, I'm hoping for at least a shield. Uh, I would hope for an MLS Cup appearance, even a win, but a shield at this point in the season is the bare minimum for me to consider it successful.
2: Uh, Jason, I wanted to talk to you about the, the supporter shields. Uh, statistically right now, uh, New York is actually sitting at 62% chance of winning, uh, winning that. So hopefully that gets you a little excited. Uh, I know there's a, a few games left here, um, but the argument can be, has been made this year all year uh, long that the Eastern Conference, of course, has been weakened because of the expansion teams. Because if you look at the, the bottom seller of Philadelphia and Chicago and those two teams, that it's kind of weakened the entire conference. But when you look at Orlando's play throughout the season, we've actually fared better against Western Conference teams than we have Eastern Conference teams and would have been standing pretty strong in the, uh, in the standings if we would have been playing Western Conference the entire year. Um, have you seen a a different level of play between uh, Eastern Conference teams and the Western Conference this year? Uh,
3: I I would like to say no, but it's more apparent when you go on the road. Um, The Red Bulls were the first – I believe the stat that that was thrown out during the Portland game was that the Red Bulls were the first team since 2009 to go on the road to the Western Conference, and I think it was a – on four days rest. For why four days rest is the qualifier? I have no idea, but they were the first team since 2009 to go on the road to the Western Conference on four days rest and win. So, this is where it comes down to me: is that MLS is a league that favors the home side because of, you know, the travel. The, the closest matchup before this year was LA versus Chivas in the same building. Now it's maybe New York and New York Red Bulls and New York City FC. But if you take that out of the equation, it's New York to, like, Philadelphia, which is still, like, an hour-and-a-half, two-hour drive. There's no accounting for travel in almost every other league in this, in, on the world, basically. Like, you go to England, the longest trip, I think, is maybe, like, four hours, where here, the longest trip is a few thousand miles across the the, the country, three time zones. You know, when do you go out there? When How do you adjust? All that stuff. So... Western Conference, Eastern Conference, I don't think it matters as much as how your travel pans out. Like, I think the Red Bulls, for the most part, when it came to Western Conference, only had to make two trips out to the actual West Coast, and I think it was Seattle and Portland. I'm pretty sure we played L.A. at home. Um, We went to Colorado. I think we went to Kansas City and Houston. But aside from that, everybody else came to us from the West. It's not like... And you have to look at it also in terms of What teams? Like yes, this year Chicago, Philly, New York City FC, and you know Orlando, and (laughs) even and even Montreal. If you put them in the West, they're all eighth place or lower. But and here's the thing: if you take Colorado and you put them in the East, I don't know if they even get 34 points because they'd have to face New York, Columbus, New York. I mean New England, DC, two to three times a year. Mm. It's it's very hard to say that one conference has actually been in the other when you have mm-hmm. on the east coast you have shorter travel on the west coast you have longer travel but on the west coast you have right now a few teams that are better on the on the eastern conference teams but on the eastern conference teams don't have you know they're not slackers so it's kind of hard to say one way or the other what you know where the balance is um, the one thing I can definitely say is that if you look at the home away records I think that's a lot more telling. The Rebels are one of the few teams that are, I believe, a five hundred on the road. And and that alone in MLS is a pretty uh telling stat.
0: That's a good stat. I you know, I'm I'm okay with Orlando City being put in the West because uh five, three, and two against the West this year, two one and two on the road against the
3: West. Yeah. So that's not too bad. No, that's um, no, really not. I mean <laughs> this this is something we've kind of kicked around internally where it's just just an idea that if you look at the home away records, like right now Chicago is absolutely horrendous on the road. They haven't won a single home game. Or I'm sorry, a single road game. Mm-hmm. But they have won, They have a much better uh, home record. Like I think they're like, well, obviously all their wins are at, at home. But I think it's like 7-2-6 and or something like that. I, I don't know the exact number. But you look at like L.A., they've only won two road games all year, yet they're sitting third in the Western Conference at 47 points. Mm-hmm. So you don't yeah. you don't have to win on the road to be a good MLS team. That's true. I, I wanted to
0: ask you, Jason, what um what's different about this Red Bulls team than the first meeting between Orlando City and New York Red Bulls? What's changed since then?
3: Uh they're a more cohesive unit and they're much deeper with the signings of uh Gonzalo Road and Sean Wright Phillips. When we played you guys, I think it was I want to say Matt Miazga was like off with the U20 for the U20 World Cup and which at this time he'll be off with with the U23s for uh, Olympic qualifying so that actually builds well for you guys because we have been relatively horrendous without him in the starting lineup this year
1: um,
3: <laughs> but the the team has been able and this is and actually this is kind of the big thing is we have not had the injuries that we've had in the years past. And when we did, we had players that were able to step in and pretty much just pick the slack up right away. So we had a very cohesive unit that understands what the team is trying to do as a whole, which, uh, there's, uh, some great articles by, uh, juan win. And I can't remember the, name of the other guy off the top of my head, um, on basically we're adopting the tactics of Red Bull Salzburg and Austria. Uh, where we play a high-pressure, t- create turnovers as high up on the field as possible. So you have, you know, Bradley Phillips is more active in defense than he was last year. But it comes back to this, this team just understands what they want to do, and everybody, one, is buying into it. Everybody's uh, playing the way that they're supposed to, and it just creates this more cohesive unit, especially when, you have an injury, somebody steps in does the job. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, this guy's coming in, he hasn't been playing, how is he going to fit? It, that has not been the case all year. And then you bring in guys like Gonzalo Verone, who is a designated player and has started one game for us since he signed because Mike Corrella has been lights out, despite being the guy who could never, never secure a second year at any club in the United States before. And it's just, you know, it's just amazing when – you look at it this is probably one of the one of it's not the best New York Red Bulls teams in the club's history, and it just comes down to and it's not it's not even from a player personnel point of view like if you look at the team this year versus last year, I'd tell you player wise last year's was uh had more talent on it but this year it doesn't matter because the system everybody's bought into it everybody's playing the same way and it's and it's one of those the sum is greater than the um the, I forget the stupid saying, but Parts. yeah, yeah, part. you know what I mean? It's, it's one of those situations <laughs> where you, you, take Sasha and put on a different team and he doesn't have the same impact as he does this year.
1: Um, and so you mentioned Matt Miazga and uh, Mike Grella. Um, first of all, M- Miazga was on the 24 under 24. Um, are you expecting good things from him um, going further down the stretch or do you think he'll get sold? Um, and do you think you'll actually pick up Grella for another season?
3: Um, Grella probably gets picked up for another year. Um, Whether he starts next year, I don't know. That's to be seen. Miazga, uh, I can only hope he stays. I don't know his contract status. I think it might be one more year. But the the thing about him is that um, the Red Bull teams in Europe have been looking at him. Before the season started, he was actually in Dubai immediately following... U 20 Roka qualifying to put in some practice time with Salzburg who was down there for their preseason. Or sorry. was there for a break. Cause, uh, Austria, I think has, has uh, like a month off in between. But so he was, he's actually been on the, the radar of the European Red Bull teams for a while now. Um, so he might be gone sooner rather than later and, and how that all plays out would be kind of interesting because of the whole parent team dynamic. Um, and if he doesn't go to the Red Bull, to another Red Bull team, he is being talked about across in like England. I think there was a, one or two Premier League teams that he was linked to by camera right off the top of my head. So he's going to leave at some point. It's just a matter of when. I don't know if it'll be this off season. I'm really hoping it'll be at least another year or two. But, I mean, the way this kid's been playing, it's very possible he's gone when uh, we talk sometime next year.
2: You know, Jason, uh, there's there's one thing that Orlando, I know uh, a lot of the fans' hearts and probably New York's hearts, too, uh, are hoping for at the end of the year. And you've already succeeded in that. Um, that's that's just ending the year better than New York City FC. Uh, so, <laughs> congratulations.
3: We, I, we actually we did that. We were officially past that point as of the, the Portland match. And it's funny you mentioned that because um, one of our guys decided that we needed to have a day um, like Tottenham does with Arsenal, where we we need to have an official name for it. So we actually have a poll up on the website. I think right now uh, Metro Day is what's winning, if I'm not mistaken. But we actually had it up there. It was like St. Bradley's Day, Metro Day. There was a few different things that were that were proposed. Um, it's, it's actually one of our like most commented articles, which is kind of sad since it's only 17. <laughs> but, like, let's see, right now we have uh, – actually St. Bradley's Day is winning with 38%. So I mean it's it's well, just one of these I'm things. I'm a fan like, of
2: the the Tottering Hams Day too. I think that's fantastic. So that
3: that uh, only has one percent of the vote for what it's worth. Congrats on that,
2: and hopefully we can hopefully we can uh, surpass them going forward. We're both sitting at on thirty games played, and we're we're a point uh, ahead of them in the standings. So. Uh, you know, good luck uh, this weekend, but uh, I'm sure hoping for three points, not just to get the three points, but also to kind of shove it in New York's face at the end of the year.
3: I mean, hey, I mean, I, I the one thing I will say is I was at the MLS draft back in January, and uh, you guys had a good contingent of fans there, and I went over and talked to one of my uh, one of my podcast co-hosts was actually there. He was there with the Red Bulls fans that were traveling. And uh, I thought it was really funny to hear that your fans that traveled up gave more, of gave the New York City FC fans more of a problem than any other set of fans that were there. So, <laughs> except for the the two hours or so that we'll play, I'm I'm for you guys and getting past them. Thanks a lot, uh, Jason. Um, before we let
0: you go, you know we got to get your your take on the game. What's your key matchup and your final
3: score prediction? Uh team matchup would probably be—I don't remember who your forwards are, honestly. Like uh, uh, this, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm bad when it comes to other teams' rosters. Um, but with Matt Miazga out for Olympic qualifying, it's going to be uh, it's going to be Damien Pernell. I can't even guess who the other one is. Right, it's probably going to be Ronald Zubar, who has who's been playing recently but hasn't hasn't been the same as Matt has been the center back position so given that the Red Bulls like to high press and when they're in the attack they like their fullbacks to get up and uh, cover the wings whoever and I really wish I knew your forwards names if I don't but uh, whoever your forwards are if they can get past Zubar and Parnell, we're going to be in trouble because I don't think either of them have speed to catch up that and that—that's actually a funny thing about Miowski. If you look at him, you—you you wouldn't think that this guy's like six three, six four, lanky. You wouldn't think he has speed. And he—and he actually doesn't. Like he doesn't have close down speed. But Matt Miowski has such a soccer IQ <laughs> that he makes up for whatever he lacks in speed. And I don't know if Zubar is at, Zubar is older. So even if he has the IQ, he's not going to be as physically fit as Miowski to make up the mm-hmm. that kind of space that's going to be needed for. Um, covering a counterattack, which is really where the Red Bulls have failed this year. Uh, You look at the two games against Chicago, they've beaten us bad on the counterattack, and we were lucky to beat them 3-2 the last time we saw them. Um, So we can't deal with speedy players and counterattacks. If you guys can get the ball out of your side quickly um, and break our defense, you guys will win the game. Uh, Personally, I I think the Red Bulls are going to win. I think we're just after that win against Portland and clinching, the team's going to be focused on the supporter shield and trying to do something, especially in the first year, to kind of prove that everything, that this is going to stay. Uh, I would probably say something like one nothing. It's going to be a tight game because as far as I remember, the last time we played you guys, you guys came close to scoring a few times, and our defense couldn't handle it, and that was without Miazga. So um, I think it'll be tight, maybe one nothing. I would hope for more, but, I mean, that's I, that's not a bad result for the Red Bulls at home on a Friday night. Where And this is going to be the, kind of look bad, but 7 o'clock starts. And, and, honestly, I wish, wish the game was on Saturday, not just for us, but for you guys, too. Because you guys deserve to see a good crowd at Red Bull Arena. But you're not going to see it when the game kicks off because everybody's going to be showing up to the game still, especially with the Pope in town. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the, right. the, uh, so we're gonna be lucky if we get maybe like seven to ten thousand in before the game starts. Mm-hmm. I think the last time we played at home on a Friday was just actually Chicago, like two week two weeks ago. I think we had like sixteen or seventeen thousand announced attendance, and it was maybe like seven thousand when the game kicked off. So, I'm hoping on that that side. You guys will have a good crowd there because cause that game is gonna deserve it. Well we'll see what happens. I know that our we're not really sure
0: who's gonna play forward on Friday night. It could be Kyle Laren, who it normally is, but there's been a, a, a lot of call for maybe Brian Rochez getting a start because he's played very, very well. The last two games had a couple of goals. And um but the the correct answer I think is the key matchup is Breck Shea against anybody on Red Bulls because Breck Shea right now is on fire. So uh since he's come back and, and he just had a kid this week, so he's he's got even more to play for this week. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Jason Iapico from uh Once a Metro and the uh, Red Bull Rant, thanks so much for being our guest on the Mainland podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, we really appreciate Jason coming on the broadcast here tonight and uh you know, given the Red Bull's perspective and uh I feel like we didn't get to really talk about the game as much as the the state of of the Red Bulls in the state of MLS. But, um, you know, with playing them a second time, I think we probably know a great deal about them already. I think we've, uh, you know, we've written about them in the past. We've obviously played them and done recaps and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I think there's nothing left really to do but to talk about our key matchups for Friday night and uh, do our score predictions. So, Andrew, we're going to start with you. Where do you see this game being won or lost? Uh you think there will be any surprises in the lineup, and, and how do you think the final score will shake out?
1: Uh, I don't think we'll see any surprises in the lineup. It wouldn't surprise me to see Kaká come back for us. Um, still not thinking Shea's going to get 90 minutes. It would be nice. Um I think matchups-wise, we've got to see if we can take Grella out of the game. He has been really good for New York going forward, and he's actually really helping out the midfield for spots where they need it. And I think he's really stepped up into covering some of BWP's issues that he's had this year. Um, another key matchup for me has got to be Colin and Mateos uh, marking Perenel out on corners. Um, a guy just can head the ball really, really well. Um, I think if we can keep both Grella and Perenelle quiet. we got a chance to win. Um, however, my score prediction is going to be 2-1 to the Red Bulls. I just don't think we can beat a team that is in contention for the Supporters shield. We're going to have some people back, but I think it's going to throw off... Um, the good chemistry that we've started to develop and we're going to see some people who play well and just get switched out for guys who might be a little tired, a little bit of travel injuries or anything just kind of stiffening them up. So I'm going two one to the Red Bulls.
0: All right. Well, I, I, I definitely think that you're right about Grella. He's played well and I think he's very much been a beneficiary of, uh, teams paying a lot of attention to Bradley Wright Phillips. I think that's really opened things up for him. And also I think, What's helped him is Sasha Question being there. He's a very good, uh, distributor of the ball and, uh, he can find guys when they're open or even when they're not really looking like they're all that open. So, uh, as much as I don't like his porn stash and his antics from the first game, um, you know, I have to admit that he's a good player and, um, you know, hopefully uh, we can keep him quiet. But uh, let's go on to you, uh, Daniel. What is your, you know, what do you think we'll see lineup-wise? What do you think we'll see in terms of the key matchup and the final score?
2: Uh, I think there'll be a, a few changes. One Shea coming into the starting lineup. Uh, I think he's going to be reintroduced again. Ninety minutes would be a tall, tall uh, order for him, but you know, anywhere from sixty-five to seventy minutes, uh, definitely a possibility. Uh, I still think Laren's going to get the start up top. Uh, I see Rochez right now as a super sub-role uh, up top, being able to, to bring in a little bit of creativeness on his own uh, and get in a box and maybe maybe get a goal here or there. It's uh, too much of a value to try to put that onto him to start in a match, especially a way like this in a, in a tough atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a great rematch. And, uh, you know, Barring a phantom Kyle and leg to a Sasha Kleschen falling down and rolling like he's been shot by a sniper... <laughs> uh, I, think, I think Orlando's going to have a really good chance because uh, predominantly for that entire match, we, we played well with uh, New York. And uh, I understand that they're on good form now, but I think we've turned the corner uh, and we have a little belief in our side. And I think everybody's got that little bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel that they see, either if it's just from you know that small little slim playoff hope or the understanding that they're growing throughout the season. Uh, and if Kaka can come around and show that he's healthy this weekend.
0: I think we're having another issue with Daniel McGann. <laughs> that was an unfortunate time thing. Uh, but, yeah, it, <laughs> I get what he's six, saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I, I <laughs> totally get what he was saying. And, and you know, we'll, we'll try to get him back on to get his, his final prediction. But, um, you know, it's – I see what he's saying. I don't know that I I would agree necessarily that Breck Shea starts. I think Breck might come on earlier. Mm. Uh, I have have an odd opinion on this. I I think that Kaká will start because I just don't think that he's going to start the game without his captain. I think he wants Kaká on as long as he can go, and then he'll take him off. Uh, So I think that we'll see that change in the middle. I think that he'll stick with Rivas on the left. Maybe and uh, bring Breck in later, is my thought. But I think he'll bring him on earlier than he d- has done in the past. I think he'll bring him on maybe to try to get him thirty full minutes uh, instead of bringing him on like in the seventieth or, or or later. I think he'll bring him on maybe at sixty or just you know after halftime, and um, and we'll see what happens. But I, I think that Rochez could start, and I think that Laren could come on come off the bench in that role. And I I, I really think there's a uh, just the the form that Roches is in right now, I think there's a there's a desire by Adrian Heath to see how that will look in terms of of starting. And Daniel, I, I hear you're back, and, and I'm sorry you got cut off, but uh, you're, you're you were talking about Kaká coming back in the lineup. Uh,
2: I was talking about my key matchups and Kaká coming back in healthy. If if he comes back in healthy and there's no uh, no adverse effect in in his play from from being out for a little while, I think the matchups going to be in that midfield with Kaká. Iguita, uh, and then you know hometown hero, uh, right there from Winter Park himself, uh, the Ginger Monster. But uh, I think Kaká gonna put in a couple goals, uh, and I foresee Orlando taking it two to one.
0: Wow, two goals from Kaká—that would be amazing because I, I don't know when the last time he scored. Was. I
2: think he's ready for a game, and I think he's—I think he's just itching to get out there to to put this to rest that you know either he's too old or he hasn't done enough as he what he should be doing for a dp and the salary is getting paid because uh he's he's looked good in spurts but i think he's well rested and ready to go
0: i think the matchup for me that i want to i want I, I that i think orlando said he needs to win is in the midfield to create those counter-attacks that that jason was talking about that that their defense has had trouble with i think the key for me is if presuming he starts as he has the last few games. If Carlos Rivas starts, he's the key in my mind, because if he can create turnovers and be dangerous, he can really jumpstart the offense. And if it's not him, then it can be Breck Shea. But I think whoever's on that left wing is going to be the key to the game for Orlando City. I think that's that's where it's going to come from. I think the first time that the teams played, Shea was out. um and we—I don't recall if Rivas played, but I know he wasn't in any kind of real terrific form at that point. He was just so only starting to scratch the surface. He had had that good game against Colorado, and, and then another one in the uh, the U.S. Open Cup. But I don't think he was a, a factor. He may not even been healthy for that New York game. I can't recall off the top of my head. But I, I will say that that's the that's the key for me is to start the counterattack, and I think it's. It's just better on the left right now. I, I think Adrian Venter is a, is a good player. I think he's coming along and, and starting to find his form in MLS. But he's he's not like the, the, the guy with the pace that's going to get you the dangerous chances. He's going to be the guy who works like give and goes and comes in and, and gets into space later after the play is already in the box, I think. So for me, that's the big matchup. And I'm going to call this a 1-1 draw. I, I think, like Andrew, it's going to be tough to go to Red Bull Arena and get a result against a team that's in such good form, uh, that's rolling and trying to win a supporter shield. Uh, but I think that this team bears down and gets something out of the game to to keep their playoff hopes alive, knowing that you know from that point out there will be no margin for error. But I think still a draw at Red Bull Arena is probably a pretty good result for a team that's... Right now in seventh place uh, in the standings, I, I would certainly like it to be more. I would like to see Breck Shea get his first goal <laughs> in purple. Uh, that would be for me a, a big thrill. So uh, to see that because he's done everything else since coming back but score a goal. So two assists in two games for Breck. Uh, had a kid this week. So how do you top that? You got to go out and score a goal and maybe a game winning goal at Red Bull Arena. I like it. <laughs> All right, so, uh, guys, uh, any, any last uh, thoughts here before we sign off? I, I, I'd say watch out for,
2: you know, both Shea and uh, Carlos Rivas starting. Uh, I don't think that, you know, Adrian's not going to go into this game playing for a draw. He's not going this game especially not to get any points. Uh, and what, what would look more dangerous than uh, Laron or Roches up top and then flanking them on either side? Shea and Rivas. I mean, that type of speed on the field, uh, when you're talking about most likely playing a counter-attacking style, um, that, that would be really, really dangerous. I think Shea would be more comfortable on the right. We've actually seen him play on the right uh, over the past few weeks coming in, uh, and I don't think that would be too far fetched to, to see Adrian Heath go with that lineup with uh, with Shea and Rivas starting.
0: Yeah, that could happen. I mean, uh, it certainly would be interesting. You, you will lose that uh, dynamic player off the bench late in the game if you if you need some fresh legs. But, um, you know, maybe then Adrian Venter can be that guy that comes in and, and poaches something late. Who knows? Uh, Andrew, any last thoughts on uh, Orlando City at New York Red Bulls?
1: Um, I think I'm going to say that Roche's starts, and I think he scores one early, and that's definitely my goal scorer. Um, but then I think we just don't hold on long enough, and it, and it ends up being a bit of a heartbreaker.
0: Uh well I hope that's not true but uh you know certainly certainly it's it's going to be a formidable task and uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh only four games left. Guys, do we think Kyle Laren's going to get that 12th goal?
1: I only think he'll get that 12th goal if we give him the time to take a game off and not keep putting him under pressure. I think we have to switch him out and I think he would get it. I think I'm going to say he gets it against Philadelphia on the final game of the season. Mm, okay, wait, Daniel,
0: wait
2: until the very end. huh?
1: Yeah, yep. I actually think he's gonna. I think
2: he's gonna score. I mean, you have to look at. We have uh, Montreal and New York both at home. I definitely think within that stretch he's going to put, uh, if not one or two goals in the back of the net, because either way he's going to see minutes, whether or not he's starting or he's coming in off the bench. He's going to see minutes, mm-hmm. and he's going to see a team driving forward to get as many points as possible. So he's going to get opportunities and he's definitely going to put that 12th on the back of the net.
0: Well, as the last time we played New York city FC, he scored three of them. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe that's True. the game that he, he breaks it. All right, guys, I think, uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Mainland podcast. And, uh, we do again, want to thank Jason Iapico from, uh, once a Metro and also from Red Bull rant, which I'll be a guest on that. And, um, This week, so look for Red Bull Rant this week if you want to hear uh, those guys have their questions for me and see what I have to say about it. And, uh, you know, Friday night, Red Bull Arena, Orlando City, chance to uh, maybe steal three points on the road and stay in this thing. And uh, we'll see what happens. And we'll be back to talk about it next week. And we'll also be back to preview Montreal. Impact, which uh, tonight, as we are recording this, are playing Chicago Fire, and they're probably killing the Chicago Fire because we need them to lose. Uh, But that'll do it for podcast episode 30. We're 30 now, even though we're, uh, by the way, one year old as we record this on Wednesday, the 23rd. One year old, guys. One year as as a blog. One year anniversary of our blog. So congratulations to all you guys.
1: Feels pretty good.
0: <laughs> yeah, Daniel hasn't been with us that long but uh, you know, we started as a little WordPress site and we actually um we were we were a WordPress site for a couple of months and then we got on with with SB Nation and uh very very successful so far. So, uh I feel first like year was a party great. In there. Yeah, there should there should definitely be we should have a we should have a big party. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> All right, so for Daniel McGann and Andrew Harrison, uh, I'm Michael Citro signing off podcast episode 30 saying, Go City!